Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about roleplayers. I'm Jess. And I'm Nella. And I'm Raven from the Apocalypse Book Club. Every week we get together to talk about a range of gaming-related topics, from creating a character to running a game. And what it all means for people who share our favorite hobby. We may not be experts, but we do have pleasant voices and a wealth of gaming experience that we're eager to share with you. Our topic today is ending the world, but before we get into it, Nella and Raven, you guys are my first guests who actually have, like, your own show and are here for an extremely specific purpose. That's right. Can you tell us a little bit about The Apocalypse? Well, The Apocalypse is a book club where Raven and I are reading all apocalyptic fiction in chronological order. The first book, it was written in 1805, mm-hmm. and we are taking it from there. Um doing deep dives on each of them, building up some contact, text, some research. Yeah, talking <laughs> history and biography, all that good stuff. Yeah, and uh, we uh, we just launched uh, Halloween this year, 2018, and it's uh, we post third Wednesday of every month because it is a book club. It takes you some time to read the book, get your notes together, get the bottle of wine, make the cookies, <laughs> you know, very important in these end times. Of course. It is a great cookie and wine show, and I've been I've been listening since you guys launched, and I've been loving it, and loving it so much that as soon as I had the idea of like I really want to talk about running a game and ending your world, I could only bring on two guests. It had to be y'all, and I really appreciate you joining me here today, because as as we play in these games, we so often run into end of the world sort of situations. Like, our heroes have to stop the Lich King from coming back and ending life as we know it. Because something about apocalyptic fiction just kind of lends itself to heroic tales. Yeah, it's very high-stakes scenarios. It doesn't get much higher. Yeah. At least as far as, like, global stakes go. But one thing that... I haven't talked about a lot as far as what's going on in this podcast and what gaming means to me is running post-apocalyptic stuff. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what you guys have been reading for the show deals with the end of the world and after. Now, there are a lot of systems, especially one called Powered by the Apocalypse, which is all about like, hey, this is Apocalypse World. What do you do after everything breaks down? Yep. (laughs) Which is a fantastic game. But I feel like its open-endedness leads people to maybe struggle to find their own take on the end of the world. Yeah, and it's hard to raise the stakes when the world's already over. Yeah. Like, you've already lost everything, so what do your characters have left to lose? Which is a very good question. I feel like it has to go more personal at that point, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right off the bat, I can think of a zombie apocalypse game um, I played in, a friend GM'd for it, uh, where it was a continuation of right after a, another zombie game we had played that had mm-hmm. happened right soon after this this event had occurred. And then we fast-forwarded a year in the future where we had a thriving community and we were nice. going out and and helping out other local communities and we didn't realize it but what he what he was building was 
And one time when you're on a job, you come back and someone has kidnapped your entire community and you don't know why. Oh. And we had to find our people. And that became the story. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, it was. Cause, and he kept it very under under the, the table there. Uh, and we were going off thinking it was a regular mission, had all of our nonsense together. And then we get back and something bad had happened. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, that's almost like your world is ending twice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, it. the great thing about role-playing is that you can explore trauma without actually experiencing it and yeah. explore um, how to cope with it and what you would do. And and the emo- we had so quickly built this emotional dependency on each other and on the location because we were playing so hard with the idea of, well, we've all lost everything. We had mm-hmm. a character who... Didn't know what happened to her children, but she still had her dog, you know. Oh. Uh, <laughs> like, there were levels like that. Yeah. We, we, side note, we all thought the dog was going to die. The dog never died. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, nothing shows how evil a villain or a GM is better than killing a dog. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was a, there was... The the player was very committed to, no, really, the dog could die at any time. I don't think the GM was committed. <laughs> no, no, you've got to be an evil son of a bitch to pull off killing a dog. But yeah, and, and we had very quickly, and I think that also comes down to the group you're playing with. If you're mm-hmm. just there to, like, kill zombies and kick butt, um, I think it's a little harder to build that instant emotional connection you have with your other characters and with the environment and that's why I think Apocalypse games play so well in things like Fate Core or Savage World or yeah. Powered by the Apocalypse, um, because it, it really forces you to think about your weaknesses. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of those systems really delve into, like, what are your weaknesses, what are your emotional weaknesses, things like that. Um, yeah, the games that are more geared toward, like, role-playing rather yeah. than just roll the dice, fight the monsters. Yeah, exactly. And especially in an apocalypse where, I mean, we we ended up having almost Resident Evil-like monsters towards the end of the game. Excellent. Because that's what happens. Um, you got to scale up. Yeah, but it very much started with human monsters. And so, um, and I, I think about that game a lot very fondly and how well it worked and how emotional it, it was. But we're getting that real good catharsis yes. of, okay, another day and, and, and the end of the world. How, how are we going to make it out today? Now, when you're dealing with games where the stakes are that high, where it's like the world has ended and now all of the people that I had left are in danger, how do you deal with... Because I, I have had a similar game. It was actually the zombie game that I played in college, mm-hmm. where it was a similar sort of, all right, we got through the zombie apocalypse, we survived everybody else dying, but now man is the real monster. I mean, isn't that just the way it goes? <laughs> Always. Uh, but there were a lot of times when things got so grim and so bad that it actually got hard to play. Mm. Because at times it felt like nothing we did could ever bring us back from the brink. Right. So how do you deal with that sort of despair and finding the hope in a post-apocalyptic setting? Mm. You know, that's a really good question. I've never... I've not gotten to a chance in a game of roleplay where we've hit that wall. And I've watched, like, TV shows and, mm-hmm. and where, where, man, there there's this one show I love that there is season four. It's a slog I didn't know if I could make it through the season. Season five was okay, but season four was just hard because it was that feeling of yeah. nothing we do matters. And and I, I think if I were trying to 
build a game or, or a role-playing game with that kind of constant bombardment and one step forward, two step back, mm-hmm. you got to have a carrot somewhere. You've got to give some measure of hope to your players, even if you're trying to play like the ultimate, you know, Walking Dead Rick Grimes, like oh, yeah. death march. <laughs> no matter where we go, we will fail and most people will die. Yeah. 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 But I think there has to be, even even if you as a GM know that there's no hope, you got to give your players something to make them feel like, even if just for one day, like very Doctor Who, like one, just this one day, Rose, everyone lives. <laughs> you got to give them something. <laughs> oh, man. I haven't watched Doctor Who in a long time, but that is still a good episode. Yep. <laughs> oh, goodness. So... What kinds of apocalypses might we see in stories like this that we can pull from for our games? Uh, well, oddly, we've got an episode coming up which is basically just building a D&D world after the apocalypse. <laughs> like, as a novel, it's not great, but if you want some world building, it's uh, great, masterful work. Okay. Uh, and I think that the thing that really makes this genre so good both in fiction and in gaming is that you get to build a world and with you're not building it from scratch in this case you're building it from the ruins of the world that came before Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think back to what you were saying earlier there are some great genres subgenres within this especially there's a british genre called cozy catastrophe cozy catastrophe <laughs> which is about as british as you could get oh for a name <laughs> god i love it i love it already i don't know what it is but what's very odd about this genre is that it's not a super bummer even though most people are dead like something about it is so like stiff upper lip we'll just carry on then it makes me just, accent, just make but... cheese the the old-fashioned way yeah uh, hop on down to the pub which you know it's just me and my dog <laughs> yep i guess we'll just loot this then uh day of the triffids i think is the quintessential example of this genre where uh, everyone on earth goes blind because a comet passes over the earth spoilers uh <laughs> okay the and science on that one seems dubious at first glance, but sure. Oh, trust me, the science <laughs> is always dubious in many of these books. Especially when comets are involved. Yeah. Uh, I don't think humans really understand how comets work. Well, it's sort of, is it a comet or a meteor shower? It's something. It's beautiful. All these people look out their windows and see it and are stricken blind the next day. And ah, at least it's on a time delay. That's a little bit courteous. Yeah, so you get to climb into bed and then wake up blind. So our protagonists are people who didn't look at the meteor shower. And one of them is a man who was recovering from eye surgery, so he was bandaged. And in the morning, the doctor doesn't come to get him. And so he takes off his own bandages and discovers that the hospital is full of people falling all over each other. Huh. And then it goes on from there. But it's, like, surprisingly chipper for such a grim concept. <laughs> that actually feels like it would transition really well into a very lighthearted game where it's like, all right, people didn't necessarily die on mass, but you and the other players are the people who are equipped to handle this situation. Oh uh, yeah, that's just a classic and in the kingdom of uh bl- of the blind the one-eyed man is king. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and interestingly, he does address what happened to people who were already blind, I which was... is that they've got the advantage. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly what I was thinking about. Like what if you're daredevil in that world? <laughs> it's like, all right, 
You're all my time has come. Than my level. <laughs> You're like, what's going on? Why are all these people falling down the stairs? <laughs> oh my god, I love it. It's so good. So that's that's a really interesting example of an apocalypse that's not like a devastating everybody dies, the world is shattered catastrophe. Mm-hmm which I think lends itself to a lot of very interesting ideas. Yeah, it's all in the approach, not necessarily in the material. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think, um, at least in my own way, when I think of what constitutes an apocalypse, to me it counts if society as you know it is fundamentally changed in a way you can never return to. Right. Uh, I was thinking about this on the walk over here. I have come up with the formula the two D's of the apocalypse, which is death count and disturbance. Mm -hmm. So if you have a high enough death count, then the disturbance is assured. But what about a story like like Day of the Triffids, where not everyone dies immediately, but Mm -hmm. the disturbance to the way of life is such that you may never recover. Like, that's an apocalypse, even though everyone didn't die. Yeah. Or, I mean, think of of, uh, Children of Men or of us reading The Last Man, which was the first book uh, we read uh, the the French one, not Mary Shelley's. Right. Uh, very popular name, The Last Man. Um, and in that one, it's a it's a plague of sterility. So people aren't going to drop dead, but you're not having any new population, and you have a collapse of society because people aren't having children. People are growing old. People mm-hmm. are panicking. Like there is there is that sense of uh, we're doomed, and it's just going to be a slow death. I think people have toyed with the idea of the slow burn apocalypse in really interesting ways, which is particularly fascinating because we might kind of be in one of those in the real world right now. Oh, yeah. But uh, the sterility apocalypse is always something that was fascinating to me. Because in terms of bringing characters into that, it's, it's hard to play a scientist. There's not a lot of, like action that you can jump into. There can be a ton of interpersonal role-playing sort of nonsense, Mm -hmm. but when you have a goal that is prevent the actual end of the world and you don't have a big monster you can go and fight to do that, what then is the target? Mm, I mean, first thing I just go to is is you got to bump up your, your CDC. Um, I mean, what I can imagine yeah. off the top of my head is, is say you have some sort of... Um, you, you, fine, let's let's use Plagueis really as an example because no one knows if it's contagious. Is it a disease base? What's the vector? Why mm-hmm. is it suddenly happening? People are panicking. Um you could have almost a team of researchers going out into the field, um, trying to take blood samples, trying to take uh, notes of, well, what have you been eating? Where have yeah. you been? Um, environmental samples, yeah. things like that. And then you'll run into maybe some group start uh, blaming science for it, convinced that it was a government ploy to purposely sterilize uh, oh, their yeah. particular group. So when you come around with a clipboard, guess what? They're going to attack you. <laughs> I think, I think, I think there is a way of creating characters that you would consider not necessarily heroes or fighters or things mm-hmm. like that, but that instead of it just being like, all right, now roll a d20 to see uh, see how uh, the centrifuge goes, um, <laughs> you can have them out in the field trying to uncover the mystery 
or your players think they're trying to work on a mystery, but in fact, this is an inevitable slide and there is no answer. I think there's a great example of this in the comic series, Why the Last Man. I was thinking about why. Yeah. Because yeah. they put together a party and go out in the field and they've got a fighter and they've got a scientist and they've got the doofy guy who might hold the secret. And they- Yeah. Yeah, then there we go. And then you can still have a fighter because you have to have the security detail. Absolutely. Yeah, because to protect the scientists. Science. Yeah. 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 So you're, you're a scientist in that situation in like Dungeons and Dragons terms. That's your wizard who's just constantly out of spell slots. Yeah. Or your it. cleric, maybe, depending. Yeah, yeah there you go. Because it would probably be a medical doctor of some variety. Your, your yeah. bard is the journalist coming along. Oh, yeah. Oh, to that's try to... so good. <laughs> there we go. I did it. No, I, I wanna... solved your riddle. I'm going to run this game. <laughs> yeah, what are, what are we playing? I'm very interested in this. <laughs> I want to roll up my character right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's very, very good. This happens to me on this show constantly. Where I'm just like, shit, somebody just gave me the best idea. I need to play it now. And for those of you listening at home, you're welcome. Yes, enjoy that. Uh, let us know how it goes. Yeah, please send me the link to your homebrew system. I really want to play this one. Happy to play test. So that's the other thing about, like, systems. Because... As everybody knows, there are like a hundred million different role-playing systems out there, Mm -hmm. and each of them can be tooled to different kinds of stories to a limited extent. You've obviously got the big ones, World of Darkness, Dungeon World, uh, Dungeons and Dragons is what I actually meant to say there, and Fate and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. What sorts of of systems are y'all familiar with, if I might ask? I mean, um, right off the bat, D&D the, is definitely the first one I was introduced to. Um, I play Fate Core way more uh, commonly now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have played Savage Worlds. Um, I've played um, Powered by the Apocalypse for Monster of the Week. Um, I which... <laughs> am a big fan of Monster of the Week. <laughs> it's a great it's a great system. I love that one. I love that game and, and that gameplay really a lot. Um, I've also played Marvel Cortex. Um, this the so that's the one we were we were adapting it for our own superhero game. That one's great if you're really into like having a lot of fights with differently powered superheroes, but sure. it only works if you're constantly fighting. <laughs> is not, what I have found. Not particularly well built for role play. Which makes sense. I mean, no, it's fine for role play. It's just, it's a system where it's more effective if you're doing a lot of roles. Gotcha. So my people I play with, we're the kind of people where we can go two hours into a session without picking up our dice. Oh, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why Fake Core is so good for us. Absolutely. <laughs> I think I recently had a session in one of my Monday night games where we didn't touch the dice for the entire three and a half hours that we played that night. Oh, yeah. And it was the best. Yeah. But then outside of that, um, I've I've played the fiasco system. Not sure how it would work for... Well, actually, I think it could work for something like this, where you are all characters. Uh, so uh, for those of you who don't know, fiasco is a, um, a D6 system where the pitch is that you're playing... A Coen Brothers movie. Oh, you roll. It's all about. It could they could be terrible people, mm-hmm. but it's all about people and their relationships to each other and their wants. And you build. It can have up to I believe five players. You're sitting in a circle. You roll a bunch of six sided die, and based on the numbers on the die, you start picking out aspects and what your relationships are to each other and you write them down on cards okay and then all the role play that happens then is based on those relationships 
and then whether it goes poorly for you or well for you becomes based on the color of the die you're handed. So there are white die and there are black die. This is a system that I have heard about but wasn't mm-hmm. personally familiar with. Yeah. And hearing it described as you're playing a Coen Brothers movie is just like, oh, yeah, I know exactly the tone that it's yeah. going for. Yeah, where it's better, the worse things get. Yes. <laughs> you as the character can think, I've got a great plan, it's going to work brilliantly. Uh, for example, in one game we played, um, one of the characters was trying to make mo- They were house flippers. They were like those, like, they wanted okay. to become HGTV house flipping couple. Yes. Um, and then they had done something shady. She was in a car going off to, like, get the deed done. I handed her a black die. And then what she decided was, oh, no, I've, I've hit a dog and I had to stop. Oh. Turns out it was the dog of another player. Oh, <laughs> oh this, very good. Yeah, so with that kind of thing where it's just like, well, I'm just taking a drive. And then it's like, how do you make that more interesting? And that's mm-hmm. the sort of way that game plays. And also what's great about that game is that it has it, it rolls up very quick. I've played a session in three hours. That's nice. Um, yeah. So you build everything right there in the instant and uh, gameplay moves very quickly. So... I definitely need to give that a shot. That sounds fantastic. (laughs) Raven, how about yourself? I'm more of an academic gamer, by which I mean I've read a lot of source books, but haven't necessarily played the games. That was me before college. Yeah. Uh, So I have played some D&D. I was familiar with it a couple of editions ago, and then I've been recently reading through the 5e, and I've played a little bit of that as Mm -hmm. one-shots and Shadowrun. Been a big fan for a long time. Shadowrun has one of the most interesting universes that I've <sighs> the universe ever is laid the best part. <laughs> oh yeah, the the system itself is a little unwieldy, and setting up a character is a lot of work. But the and it's so close to being an apocalypse, but it's definitely a dystopia. Well, that's the magic of cyberpunk because yeah. cyberpunk is an apocalypse barely averted. Yes. If it's done right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think in the Shadowrun universe, there are three or four apocalypses averted. Yeah. (laughs) And they just keep skating by somehow. Well, I think that tonally is an apocalypse story. Oh, yeah. Because at any given point, if you hit that tipping point, everything goes wrong and everyone is dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it really an apocalypse if there are still people around to be there afterward? Well, and it comes back down to what happens to society. Is this just that your group has been destroyed or forever changed? Or is it that, like, something fundamentally has changed in society and there's no going back? Mm -hmm. To me, I think an apocalypse does have a societal aspect to it, where it's not just that you yourself are personally affected. It's that society as a whole has, has shifted. Gotcha. Yeah, I think Shadowrun doesn't quite qualify because not enough parts of the world have been disrupted. Like, they still have currency. They still have some kind of infrastructure. You can still get from point A to point B. Even though the world has changed significantly from the world we know, there are different countries and megacorporations run all this stuff, and it's not a happy life. It is a life, and there are normal people who are non-heroes who are just sort of living in it. And I think that's dystopia. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, but dystopia and apocalypse, they they go hand in hand so often that sometimes the, the line can get very murky. Yeah. I think most po- post-apocalyptic stories are at some level just a dystopian story with a particular sort of history. Because mm-hmm. yeah. if you look at something like, you know, going to video games for a moment, the Fallout universe. Yeah. It's all about how society has rebuilt itself 200-ish years after a global nuclear war. Yeah, but it's definitely still post-apocalypse because it's defined in terms of that event. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, I mean, or is it spoilers to mention Zero Horizon Zero Zero Dawn? Dawn. (laughs) The best post-apocalyptic video game. That game is brilliant. Could you imagine doing a role-playing campaign of the events that led up to zero, uh, zero Dawn, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, because, I'm, yes. and we're not going to spoil the video game at all, but I think that puts you in, like, you could play a Shadowrun game that leads you to a world. You absolutely could. Yeah. yeah. I will say that game has one of the worst titles that I've ever heard. <laughs> I know. It's a nonsense <laughs> mishmash until you get the end of the game and they actually talk about what it means. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I understand. But for marketing purposes, yeah. who knows what you're talking about? What are they going to call the sequel? Horizon One Dawn? <laughs> no, I don't have any idea. <laughs> Horizon Zero Dawn New Age. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, no, you that. know no, you know it's going to be that basic. <laughs> it's, it's going to be more word salad. Like Horizon Zero Dawn Garden of Eden. <laughs> no, it's more adjectives. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Just Holy we'll we'll, we'll take it back to the to the shop and we'll 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 yeah. keep working on that. We'll one. Fix it in post. Yeah. Put something good in the uh, in the episode description. <laughs> so, what to touch on next? This is the point in the show where I'm always like, hmm, we've hit kind of that halfway mark. What's my next? Tech. I'm probably just going to edit all of this rambling out because yeah. I do that sometimes. Well, I mean, it's mostly a role-playing game. I'm like, I mean, there are board games I could talk about. <laughs> Honestly, like board gaming is a part of the tabletop gaming experience. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Have you played Pandemic? Oh, yeah. Pandemic is, I think, a really interesting take on that whole like non-violent apocalypse. Because mm-hmm. it's all medical. Yeah. You don't even touch on the idea of like, oh, well, uh, you know, all of this disruption to society has happened and now there are roving gangs of Mad Max style bandits out there. Mm-hmm. It's just diseases spreading. How do we stop it? I think one of the, the pluses of board game apocalyptic themes is that they can snowball so much faster because you're just you're trying to get to the end of it in 90 minutes or two hours or yeah. whatever the game itself. Or if it's Risk, four and a half hours Yeah, or Dead of Winter <laughs> after oh. you finish setting up, which Dead of Winter is one of my favorite games. That's um, brilliant. Uh, can't wait to ever play it. It's zombies. <laughs> Sorry. We could play Arkham Horror, which is also averting an apocalypse and takes about six hours hey. to die. That is something that we need to touch on. But let's finish this first. <laughs> but yeah, but um, like Dead of Winter is an example of a zombie game where because it's uh, it uses a mechanic called a uh, crossroad cards, um, things start piling up in unexpected and almost terrifying ways with the game. Mm-hmm. Every time you think you're just you're just keeping your colony together and you have the zombies in order. But then the wrong person's in the right place and you pull a card and something gets triggered, um, be it uh, 
a famine, be it, and then this person has to make a tough choice. Um, and it mm-hmm. keeps you on your toes in a way I've not really experienced in other board games. It's very tense. It is very tense. And like I feel like that is a really good use of the escalation of stakes, maybe? But it, it's more like the things that come at you just get more difficult to deal with as time goes by. Well, it's to me, it's more the death by a thousand paper clip, uh, paper cuts. <laughs> death by a thousand paper, paper clips. clips. Yeah, just throw a thousand paper clips at someone. Like, it would be <laughs> really annoying. Yeah. It, would, it would annoy the hell out of me, for one. No, uh, but to, yeah, the, like, a game mechanic like that is very much death by a thousand paper cuts. Yes. It is... Just as, like, you you have to make a choice. Do I put food in the pantry or do I use it to do something else? Well, mm-hmm. um, you know what? We can be hungry one turn. But then the next card is famine. You have to have even more food on hand. Oh, God, now what? And then it mm-hmm. all just grows and grows and grows until it overwhelms you. And that's how you, you can lose the game because you're just literally overwhelmed. I think that's something that systems with... This is about to get a little redundant, but systems with a lot of systemic interplay really do well. Because if you have to focus on, like, all right, is my character eating? Do I have shelter and food and water? Can I get all of that and fight the monsters or the disease or whatever it is? But then you also have to find the balance between um, paying attention to those aspects of reality Mm -hmm. and it getting annoying. Like... I've been yeah, enjoying definitely. watching Red Dead Redemption 2 gameplay. It would drive me nutty having to be like, oh, God, has he eaten today? Yeah. Did he have his smoke? Having... Has he been gaining too much weight? I think you've been gaining too much weight and you're slowing down a little bit. Like, that's a <laughs> level of micromanaging that I did not sign up for. <laughs> no, that's absolutely a solid point. Because if it gets too systemic, you can't actually play the game. Yeah. And that's not what we're here for. We Like, we don't role play to do micromanagement mm-hmm. at least some people do some people do <laughs> and if you're one of those people power to you please don't join my games <laughs> but we we briefly touched on what i will refer to as an eldritch apocalypse yeah like the cosmic horror of hey cthulhu might wake up and just come and like eat all of our minds or however that works. Also, Neil Arthotep is waking up over there and maybe you also need to keep them from waking up. Exactly. I feel like that is a genre that is rich for mining because people love cosmic and eldritch horror in the first place, but we so rarely see what happens after. Yeah, the apocalypse is really baked into the genre without Mm -hmm. ever going there. Which is fascinating to me yeah you would think more people would have done that it's hard to write the aftermath i actually have at home a collection of modern short fiction about the apocalypse and there is a lovecraftian apocalypse in it and it's hard to read because it's hard to get that weird and still mm. have a substantial narrative flow. Yeah, the best one I've, I think I've ever read was Neil Gaiman's A Study in uh, Emerald, which was a Sherlock Holmes Lovecraftian thing. <laughs> I won't spoil it, but like, 
uh, like, guess what? Uh, the Queen Victoria is an actual elder car. <laughs> the nice. old gods are among us, and they rule us. <laughs> and and it was very much a Sherlockian story with the elder gods. I wonder how I haven't heard of that before. It's a because... short story in, in a couple of his collections, but I think you can find it online, A Study in Emerald. That just shot to the top of my list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it was really one of, probably one of my favorite of his short stories. Um, but uh, I think it just balanced the line between how fundamentally society changes if you're ruled by Eldric Horror. Yeah. And just, I mean, and honestly, like, it sort of tempered the Eldric Horror just enough so that, like, we're not all, like, society is still trying to function. Mm-hmm. We're just, you know, Victoriana is a, is a, is a, you can't really look at her and, and keep your sanity. <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> that's such an interesting idea to me, though, because I want to know what, obviously, if you're dealing with some sort of, like, cosmic entity or the old gods and all that stuff, the idea of them is they are so inhuman and so incomprehensible that we can't even fathom their motives. Mm -hmm. What if their motive is just to wake up and leave and waking up just breaks everything? Yeah. I feel like that's that's a story that I would love to explore in a game. Like, the aftermath doesn't have to be, oh, now Cthulhu and Narlathotep rule over us. But, like, what happens when a deity wakes up so and decides, our, no, fuck this place. Our world is the cat at the foot of the bed, and the old ones wake up and kick the cat, and we're like, why would you do that? And then meanwhile, they're not even, they're just like, oh, why are you even sleeping there? That's my, yeah. my foot's there. Didn't you see it happening? It's like, you fell asleep on my foot. I have to go to work. <laughs> that's how it works, yes. We are we are just the cats of uh, Nyarlathotep. I feel like that's a really nice way to look at it, and I can work with that. Ah, I love it. Which touches on, like, one of the last things that I want to get into while I still have you here. And it's this idea of a religious apocalypse. Mm. Because a lot of the time, especially in fantasy role-playing, we're dealing with the divine. Like, if you're a cleric or a paladin in Dungeons & Dragons, you have divine magic. So what happens if your GM decides, hey, you know what? Uh, Pelor just decided that it's time to reclaim all of the good souls still in the world. (laughs) And you can choose. Do you stay and shepherd the people who remain through the end times? Or do you go up to heaven, be a fun, fancy, free person on the Mount of the Dead or whatever? Oh, man. Wow, now I'm just imagining trying to roleplay Left Behind. I mean... Uh, I left books. behind, but in the D and D world, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what what it. Oh gosh, I remember, man. I was I was raised super Catholic and totally read those books. So same. now I'm just like, all right, okay. So like, I'm building it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just imagining in my head how that would work, or in, even in a D and D setting. I mean, yeah. I mean, I I, I remember once I I had a game where. Um, it was kind of in that vein where we all woke up having just died and it turned out that my character's, uh, mother had, I had led to my character's mother's death, but in death, she was like a a super like war mage kind of thing. And she, uh, she kills death and takes on the mantle, which is destroying the fabric of reality leading to like the end of all time. Yeah, that that seems so, like it would be an apocalypse. So we itself. we absolutely had to stop the apocalypse by stopping my mother. 
that is excellent. <laughs> so I think I think yeah, there's absolutely things you can you can um, build and and play in a sort of well. Do you fight? Do you fight the gods and do you say no? Not today. Don't you dare. Like yeah, I mean that's that's I think where I wanted to go with this is the idea of fighting a divine mandate that is supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, can you actually fight an apocalypse that? a higher power says, no, this is the good thing. Yeah. And like, we have to have this one. Well, I think then then the great thing about that is then you can either go, like, good omens with it, or you can go, like, super serious, like, no, I, I, I spit upon, like, the mandates of the heavens, and I say I fight for, I fight for the humans oh, yeah. or something. You know, you can go either way. <laughs> I feel like with my regular group, we would split the difference, but it would be <laughs> way more Pratchett than it would be otherwise. <laughs> Good Omens is my favorite book. Like, oh, basically so ever. So good. Or even, like, or go, like, Hogfather with it, where it's just like, well, Santa Claus is dead, or the Hogfather is dead. And, um, well, uh, if uh, if Hogwatch doesn't happen, then uh, the world ends. So, gotta get those presents. <laughs> I love the idea of just, like, a super specific, weird, apocalyptic situation. And that's, I mean, if anything what your listeners can take with them is that, um, you know, some say the world will end in fire, some say in ice, but it could also end in bees. It can end in moose. It could end in, um, bee moose, bee mooses. They can end in who knows. Uh, there's so many options. There's a plethora of options. Um, now what a bee moose, would a bee moose be a bee sized moose or a moose sized bee? Uh, either is terrifying. Yeah. Maybe it's a moose with a stinger. I, don't I hate like it. That. I hate <laughs> it. Yeah. No, that's, we just accidentally made a really bad D&D monster. Yeah. I, I hate it. Thanks. Uh, never. That's, I already never want to meet a moose. Now I never want to meet a, meet a moose bee. Bee moose. Hmm. I just have a thing about mooses, you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> They're terrifying. <laughs> Moose are way bigger than people think they are. Yeah, right? Like, it's not like, oh, it's a big deer. No, it's like a big horse. Yeah, and then, and that's before you even bring the antlers into it. It's a battering ram on a creature's head. Why is that a thing? I have opinions about moose. Oh my God. But yeah, so when you're at home uh, trying to figure out what apocalypse to throw at your players and how they're going to handle it, I, you know, there's so many options. Is it something you want them to actually have a chance to say, uh, to save the world from? Or or do you want something inevitable? And then it comes down to how do they deal with the aftermath? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really go. I mean, that's, that's, I think, the biggest question of how to then guide your players towards to be their two completely different emotional oh, um, absolutely. Uh, endpoints. Um, so... I mean, good luck making your choice there. <laughs> well, this is where I will ask the two of you what I think will be my final question before we get into, like, any final thoughts. I have to ask, during or post-apocalypse, which do you prefer? Mm. Mm. I'm going to have to go with post-apocalypse. Same. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think all my favorites are post. Because I think... Uh, Certainly in the early apocalyptic fiction canon, they just end the world and that's it. Everybody's dead. Like, yep, that was a true straight up apocalypse. We have done it. It's over. Everybody's gone home. (laughs) But I think more interesting storytelling comes from what happens next. 
And I think the best examples in the genre are about rebuilding and figuring out where you fit and if you can survive and figuring out what happened. Yeah. Yeah, because I think there I think there is more catharsis in the well, we survived the initial event and in the possibility of rebuilding and how it works if it works, um, than in just like, well the world ended, but we're still alive. The end. <laughs> or we all died. The end. <laughs> yeah. All right. This has been a ton of fun. Do you guys have anything else that you would like to contribute to the conversation before we plug your show for real? Mm, I think that about covers it for me. Yeah. I mean, just uh, I'm kind of excited about this, about some now apocalypse ideas is that I can fossed on people so looking forward to that now yes most <laughs> definitely and uh, i think i might steal one or two of these ideas to create a game to broadcast as well so uh open invitation to both of you for oh that yeah one. oh totally yeah that's a, i am on here for it <laughs> so if people like your voices and want to know more about apocalyptic literature throughout human history where can they find your show well, uh, you can find us at um, uh, apocalypticbookclub.libsyn.com uh, dot or just follow us on Twitter at apocalypt c. Uh, that's a p o c a l i s t c. Um, definitely, we link everything there. There's links to uh, where you can find the podcast. You can find us on. Uh, the iTunes, the Google Play, the Spotify, pretty much everywhere um, a podcast can be found. And if you can't find us in the place where you find your podcast, let us know. We'll get it up on there. Make it easy for you. Um, I also have a YouTube series called uh, Nella Explains, which can be found on YouTube. You could just search Antonella and Sarah or Nella Explains, where I pick a topic and I just explain it. Um, you just did one on tomatoes? On tomatoes, right. And how tomatoes went all the way to the Supreme Court. So, Which, even though I can't eat tomatoes personally, was fascinating information. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's so mundane and yet... And yet. So hopefully you can also find me there. And I personally am on Twitter at Nelichronism, So, And I'm in all those podcast places. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on Twitter on my own at Quotha Raven. And if you want to listen to more of my blathering, uh, check out dodecapodcast.com for our backlog, or you can find the show on wherever you're listening to it right now. You can also send us an email if you want to contribute to a topic or the conversation or say like, hey, here's a fun thing that you didn't think about. Send it to us at dodecapodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr if Tumblr still exists in a week. Uh, it's going through its own apocalypse right now. Oh, God, it really is. <laughs> apocalypse by titties. Wow, what a way to go, Tumblr. You really picked them. <laughs> oh, but on... Oh, my God, that's... If I did, like, quotes as episode titles, this one would be called Apocalypse by Titties. Oh, my word. Uh, but you can find us on all of those at Dodeca Podcast and on Twitter at Podcast Dodeca, which at this point is kind of just becoming my personal Twitter. So, from all of us here at Dodecahedron, thank you for listening. We look forward to seeing you on our next adventure. <laughs> <laughs>